Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. All right, here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and we are going to have a really interesting conversation about neuroscience and memory with Dr. Sherry D. All. But before I introduce our guest, I always like to do a few shout-outs. So first and foremost is to the Mark Arneson Band, who um, has the clarion call, which they allow us to play for our opening music. If you like that song, you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks tries to be really inclusive. We want to hear everyone's voice around the world, and we want to have a conversation. We don't want to be about sound bites. We want to give you sound information. So if you feel you've got a story to tell, please reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Um, like I said, I'm going to do a couple of shout-outs. So um, tomorrow, if you are in, uh, in and around Shoreview, Minnesota, we will be having a Caregiver Connect meeting, and that is sponsored by Brookdale North Oaks. It'll be held at the Shoreview Parks and Rec Center, and that's at 9, probably 9, or I'm sorry, it's at 10 to 11 o'clock um, at the Community Center. So please uh, come and join us. We do that the last Wednesday of each month. And then Arthur's uh, Senior Care Sponsors, Arthur's Memory Cafe, which we do the second and fourth Wednesday of each month, starting at 1 o'clock. And that is virtual. If you would like more information on that, again, please reach out to me. I do want to give a shout-out also to Compassion in Choices. They are having their annual event October 6th. Again, it's a virtual if you're looking at dealing with end of life or want to support that, they actually have tools for people living with dementia, or maybe it's maybe you think it's in your family and you might have it. Um, this would be a great form to fill out. Um, so check out Compassion and Choices for October 6th. You do need to register for that event. And then Plymouth uh, International is doing a virtual dementia conference um, talking about the challenges and solutions in the COVID world. And that is going to be on Wednesdays, um, October 27th, November 3rd, and November 10th. That is free. Um, I will personally be speaking on um, October 27th, and we'd love to have you join us at that time. Also, the um, Brace Research Charity is having an international conference as well that is entitled Together for Dementia, and that will be 
on November 2nd. You can uh, sign up and get information on that. You can also go to alzheimerspeaks.com and get information on any of these. One last I'm going to mention, um, again, if you're in Minnesota, uh, the Waters of White Bear is sponsoring an event that I will be doing on October 21st from 4 to 5. That's actually going to be a live event at their community. Mass are required. And we're going to be talking about shifting dementia care from crisis to comfort. So please, please join us there. And don't forget the memory, um, the the dementia maps. There you can find the memory cafes and, and so many more. We have about 150 different categories with all kinds of information. One of them is the foot bar walker, which I'm going to display a short commercial for you next. Uh, we do have a code for that, so you can get this fabulous walker. It's very different. It decreases injuries on both the patient and the care partner for only $199. So let's hear from them, and then I will be introducing you to Dr. Sherry. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Footbar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the footbar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Footbar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Footbar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I am thrilled to have you with us today. We're going to have a really great conversation. We, again, are talking with Dr. Sherry D. All, and I, I'm just really excited to have her join us today. Um, Sherry is not only an author and a speaker, but she's also a psychologist, and she is the founder of the Chicago Center for Cognitive Wellness, known as CCCW. She helps people um, prevent, respond, and live well with dementia through her clinic and her speaking, as well as her recent book, which I think everybody should pick up. It's called The Neuroscience of Memory, Seven Skills to Optimize Your Brain Power, Improve Memory, and stay sharp at any age. So welcome, Dr. Sherry. How are you today? I am very well. Thank you, Lori. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, I, I think the work you do is incredible, and I, I absolutely love your new book, and I don't tell everybody that. So, um, But before we get into our line of questions, I always ask all of my guests if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. Yeah, well, well, thank you first for saying that. That's high praise coming from you. So um, I, I'm really grateful for for your feedback on the book. Um, yeah, I so 
I was affected by Alzheimer's disease in my family. Uh, it wasn't actually the reason that I got into the field. I was already working with people living with dementia a, a couple of years before my grandmother started showing some signs of dementia. And so she she passed away um, in 2011 after probably about eight years of decline and kind of all through my graduate training and um and it was it was really sad to to watch you know this kind of unfold firsthand and and I've kind of been in the muck of it you know kind of debating with family and having those really challenging conversations of you know is this lifelong personality or is it you know mental health or is it you know cognitive decline you know should we keep her on our meds um you know those sorts of things so little bit of personal personal piece there and then I'm you know I'm kind of my parents are getting older uh, so I'm sort of keeping I think probably not to their delight uh, but kind of keeping a little bit of an eye on them so they're kind of in their mid-70s and so I'm I'm kind of getting right into that sandwich generation and we'll, we'll see what's around the bend. Okay, well, great. Thank you for for sharing that with us. I want to first talk about the Chicago Center for Cognitive Wellness and how how and why did you get that started? Yeah, so uh, the why has to do with my training as a clinical neuropsychologist. I went into graduate training to become a clinical psychologist, really wanting to specialize in working with people living with cognitive changes. Um, before I went to graduate school, my first job out of college was actually as a care provider in a really small assisted living home in Longmont, Colorado. There, a gerontologist there had uh, built onto the back of her house uh, a 10-resident facility and and my job was to kind of do everything. I cooked breakfast, all of our meals were family style. I did, you know, um cleaned like two bathrooms a day, did laundry, we did activities, a lot of personal care. And and I took that position because I was interested in kind of knowing, you know, what's happening in the brain and and so when I went on to graduate school and knew I wanted to focus in, in clinical neuropsychology, about my third year of graduate school after I did the assessment training where, you know, I learned how to give all the comprehensive and objective tests for thinking skills and write these, you know, big, long reports, I was like, great, now uh, where do we go to learn to tell people what to do about it, you know, and kind of help them with that? And they were kind of like, uh, you know, we were hearing about cognitive rehabilitation interventions at the time, um, but but it wasn't something that was really uh, starting to proliferate. This was about 15, 20 years ago, and, and it was kind of right on the cusp of us sort of getting a new understanding about how the adult brain changes. And so so I was able to kind of get training in those treatment interventions kind of throughout the rest of my graduate training. And when I moved into private practice, I started kind of doing a little bit of both. I, I did some of the clinical assessments and, you know, wrote the reports and gave the diagnosis of dementia. Um, but I also was doing some of the what's next kind of treatment services. And I, I quickly learned that I liked 
that part a lot better and that it really filled a treatment gap. There there aren't still even, you know, almost a decade later are, are not a lot of clinics like mine that uh, really kind of specialize in, in helping people kind of decipher a a memory assessment report and really start to kind of implement, you know, what are the things that that we can do about it. And so so that's really the why. Uh, the how is kind of, you know, just sort of jumping right into to entrepreneurship, I think. Um, I was working for another group, uh, neuropsychology practice, uh, but it was out in the far suburbs of Chicago and, and my husband and I had made a an intentional choice to live in in the city. We had fallen in love with the Rogers Park neighborhood when I was in graduate school and and so um so kind of I was starting to have babies and you know kind of imagining, you know, missing soccer games being stuck on I ninety <laughs> There weren't a lot of clinics I really wanted to work for, so I, I, I thought I might as well just do it myself. <laughs> so, um, so I started this practice with uh, with another neuropsychologist in in 2012, and we've been kind of kicking on since then. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for giving us that background. That's always really helpful. Um, when it comes to dementia, you know, you had mentioned that that your grandma. Uh, had that I was just wondering you know was she was she really your draw into the world of dementia as a whole you know she wasn't that's what's kind of funny about this is that uh, I was already really fascinated by dementia before she started showing signs of decline um, I, I would say the draw for me um, really was just kind of a fascination with the brain and then and then I have to give a lot of credit to uh Oliver Sacks who you know our, our kind of beloved neurologist um who passed away a few years ago uh but who's you know written just so many amazing books on clinical representations of sort of what happens when things go wrong in the brain you you might know his uh book the you know awakenings the movie with with Robin Williams and um I, I would say that's really that was really kind of the draw for me was was just kind of you know I, I could you know we're all kind of used to seeing what typical behavior is but but what accounts for behavior that's sort of out of the norm and like what's going on under the hood that that was really the draw for me and then it was just you know a sad but also kind of really fascinating adventure to be able to kind of watch my grandmother decline as I was kind of learning learning about all these different things. Okay. Well, that that makes uh makes a lot of sense with all of that. There's you know, dementia is so different and so many twists and turns. I find it fascinating and there are so many inspiring people out there uh doing just amazing work and it's just fun to see how one inspires another um to step in and step up and things. So so thank you um for stepping up and stepping in to the world of dementia. Yeah. How did you become interested in prevention in in brain health? Is is that a separate story from what you just told us? Yeah, that actually started to develop um later in my graduate training. I did my internship and my postdoctoral fellowship out in New Jersey at the 
it's now part of Rutgers. It was the University of Medicine and Dentistry back then. And and working kind of in their community mental health center, one of my jobs was to actually develop a cognitive rehabilitation program for people in in their partial hospitalization program more with people with severe mental illness and then um and then a, another part of my job was that I I did the cognitive testing as part of their memory disorders clinic and and during those 3 years I I just it came to be really clear to me that the general public and understandably so you know, at the time, didn't have an understanding of the relationship between how we live our lives and what happens to our brains. In um, in the in the in the mental health clinic, when we were kind of doing this cognitive rehabilitation class, part of that class, and I wrote a, a one of my jobs was to write a manual for this class. And, and part of the manual was to just teach people about how their brains worked, uh, kind of around this idea of metacognition, that when people know how their brains work, then they're better able to kind of operate it. And, and so I wrote this whole curriculum of kind of brain education. And then simultaneously, I would go over to the memory clinic and I would do some of the evaluations and, and, and almost invariably, kind of week after week, people would walk in and say, well, I'm not really sure why, you know, why I might be having memory problems. There, There's no Alzheimer's in my family, but, you know, I only smoked for 30 years and I have hypertension and diabetes. And, and you know, from, from my background, you know, I know I've been trained in this that, you know, all of those things are risk factors for dementia. And and so, you know, and so I'd kind of look at their, their medical history and kind of go, well, like, it makes sense to me kind of why you might be having some changes. But but that but that people, you know, everyday people didn't have the link, you know, like weren't seeing the link. And and so when I um, kind of moved out on my own, I, I started thinking, I'm like, I wrote this whole curriculum for people with schizophrenia. Everybody needs to know this information, right? And this was this was in 2010, and kind of at the beginning of of sort of the brain fitness craze, and we're kind of like deep in the muck of it, I think, around that time. And um, where companies like Lumosity and Posit Science were kind of coming on the scene, and and there were a lot of high hopes about kind of this whole new industry, and and I was like, this is great, guys, right, that we're kind of developing these brain games, but, like, it's such a small piece of the picture, and and people need to know, you know, kind of what all these big risk factors are and, and how much control that we have over our own personal risk for dementia. And so, so I really kind of took it on as sort of my professional mission around that time to kind of popularize the the theory of cognitive reserve and and I really am still kind of on this mission and, and it kind of plays out in the book that you know I just want it to be a household name. I want it to be something that people think about kind of on a regular basis as we're making kind of every single decision that we make from day to day and you know and we make a lot of them that that affect our brain health and and it's not easy. I, I, I get that. You know, like I live with that challenge myself. Um, but but there's just so many different things that, that influence our risk for dementia. It's not just all about our genes and it's not, you know, kind of a fatalistic 
point of view, which is something I think that you know, we particularly had 10 years ago, um, but it still kind of persists. And so I think it's, you know, put the tools in people's hands to know kind of, you know, how your lifestyle affects your risk for dementia. And then we can actually play a big role in, you know, lowering the risk and improving improving memory and, and cognitive health. Well, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense and um, leads me right to your book. Um, because you've broken things down so nicely in it. And I, I love that it really is a workbook. Um, like I told you offline, so many things that we receive a lot of times as far as information on things like this is, you know, it's it's in a big fat book with small print and there's a lot to digest. And you you break yours down so we can we can look at ourselves or our loved one you know, as we're going. And I think that that's a really important factor to really get people to be able to digest this. Um, I also see it as a book where you can put it down and pick it up, you know, because you've chaptered it out really nicely as well. And again, they can see, well, you know, where did, where did I leave off? When I, when I talked last. So let's talk a little bit about, um, I always like to ask people why they picked the title they did, because a lot of times there's a story in there. And then I'd like you to talk about why you structured the book the way you did as well. Okay. Uh, well, I can't claim a lot of credit for the title. I actually fought my publisher a little bit on this. Um, I, I, had a, I had a writing coach who, who kept giving me kind of like fancy, catchy titles, and um, and the uh, I, I think that so I, I developed this book with New Harbinger Publishing, uh, who specializes in this uh, self-help space, and I'm so grateful for their guidance. And because I'm not sure I would have written a workbook and and uh, without kind of their their understanding of sort of what was needed in in the publishing space, and so. Um, so, so I'm glad it worked out that way. And, and also, I mean, just their keen guidance on the title, too. Um, neuroscience is a big buzzword these days. And because um, people, you know, people are really interested in this because now we, we understand a lot more and we know it matters. And uh, and so so I think those neuroscience and memory, they wanted that in the beginning of the title and because um, they, they're kind of big search terms and that people are really curious about their brains and their memories, which is great for me because that's like my favorite thing to do is <laughs> teach people about their brains. And um, so, so to get to your second question about the structure, um, yeah, it took me a while to kind of figure out uh, what the flow was going to be because there's um, when I when I do speaking topics, um, I'll, I'll, there's actually set you know seven things come up a lot and and so there's like different seven things and and so we so we kind of did a like a little bit of round and round of um, of kind of what what would be the seven skills. I, I, to me, it was important that that they be lifestyle, but there's also memory strategies that that we uh, that I teach a lot. You know, and they're kind of commonly researched in in sort of what's going to improve your memory performance now. Um, and then um, so after just kind of a lot of sort of recrafting, uh, I, I settled on the flow of the book because. 
the first it, with with a lot of help from my editors in, in kind of that the first couple of chapters really kind of set the foundation that again kind of built around this principle of metacognition that when you know how your brain works you can better direct what happens right and and so I I wanted to be able to talk about cognitive rehabilitation or I'm sorry for, about um, cognitive reserve because you know I'm really passionate about people knowing what that is because that's really where our power lies and then um, also having a chapter explaining neuroplasticity because I think we hear that term a lot I, I maybe you know depending on what circles you're in but it's sort of it's starting to be kind of everywhere these days and um, and really kind of understanding sort of what that is all about you know and what's kind of happening and what it is and what it isn't and then you know, if I'm going to throw a bunch of heavy neuroscience on you and, and I want you to also learn how to improve your memory, then I do need to teach you some memorization skills kind of along the way, right? And, and so, so incorporating some memory strategies. Uh, when we were kind of developing the idea for the book and, and New Harbinger came to me and they said, you know, well, we've already got, there are a lot of memory books out there you know, um, how is this book going to be different? And, and a lot of the memory books will kind of teach you memorization tips and tricks, which are helpful when you practice them repeatedly. Um, but, but my criticism of them a little bit is sort of like to what end? Because sometimes they, they're sort of, maybe you're learning this to kind of for like maybe a parlor trick <laughs> to kind of like show off and be fancy, you know, for like some of these memory competitions that, that people do, um, uh, you know, or, or, or for a sales strategy, which I think is like a great, you know, uh, purpose. Uh, but, but what about for just kind of everyday kind of functioning and being independent and, and those sorts of things. So I wanted to include those, those strategies, but it was really cool to be able to kind of find a way to do that and then help that kind of facilitate your learning of sort of the dense neuroscience in the beginning and then the, the lifestyle strategies there in the later chapters. Which, um, you know, I, I love that. What about everyday life? <laughs> you know, everyone doesn't want to be a superstar with a memory. They just want to know uh, whose face they're looking at or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> right. Um, those are, those are pretty important things. You know, where did I, where did I put my keys? Um, now, can you just tell people briefly without going in too deep on, you know, what is neuroplasticity? Because a lot of people don't know. And I think that would be um, helpful and hopeful. Yeah. So, so the coolest thing about neuroscience in the last 20 years is that the field has really just kind of been flipped upside down. And, and I'm kind of like of the generation of neuroscientists uh, to, to be kind of have watched this kind of firsthand because when I went, when I started graduate school in uh, 2002 and um, we were just starting to get like some early evidence that the adult brain can change. When I started graduate school, we were still kind of under this idea that you had all the brain cells you were ever going to have when you were 20, and it was all kind of downhill from there, you know, because 
by and large, adults don't grow new brain cells. You don't really grow them all over your brain. But but we've learned recently, like about 25 years ago, that adults do grow a few new brain cells. And then the ones that you've had your, your whole life rewire and remold themselves really based off of our experience. So unlike how we used to think of the adult brain, which was kind of fixed and hardwired, kind of like a computer that now we know that our brains are constantly adapting based on how we use them and and so now it's so so neuroplasticity really just if you break the word down neuro has to do with you know neurons brain cells and that they're more plastic or malleable than than we have really ever knew that they were before Okay, wonderful. Thank you for doing that. Um, I wanted to um, just talk a little bit about, you know, your your chapters in the book, um, because I think that always helps guide people in terms of purchasing this and what they can find. So um, you have, the, you know, the first part in terms of building blocks, the gift of neuroscience, why people have memory problems, I think is something that we don't really discuss a whole heck of a lot. Um, memory <laughs> in the brain, how that functions, uh, the cognitive reserve, and then um, being able to build more resilience um, in the brain through neuroplasticity. And then part two, you get into breaking down the skills. And there you talk about move your body to build a bigger brain, Learn new things, um, soothe the stress for bigger for a bigger brain, and a greater focus, which I think everyone needs to soothe their stress these days. Um, you've got <laughs> sleep, um, eating your veg uh, veggies, um, mind your meds, and then social with uh, socializing, you know, with with purpose. Um, and and I think a lot of times we don't break them down that simply for people to really be able to swallow. Um, sometimes the, the titles in, in the books are just, oh, my gosh, that's too deep for me, or I don't have time to dig dig that deep, or I don't have the energy to learn that much. And, again, what I like is you have this truly is a workbook in terms of, you know, like here under Chapter 1 in the Gifts of Neuroscience, why do you want to improve your memory? You know, you get people thinking, you get them engaged, you know, throughout the book. And I think that that is very important to, you know, not only pull them through, but to you really are a guide um, in this process, you know. Um, what have you seen and heard? You know, what are your thoughts about memory loss? Those are Those are conversations that, you know, a lot of people don't really come out and talk about, and people don't even admit that within themselves, and and yet that builds our whole perspective of how we're looking at it, and if we don't ask those questions, you know, we're kind of like a dog chasing our tails because we haven't gotten to the root of what is your base. Uh, and so, um, like I said, I really, really um, like the way that you – you developed this. Um, now, you you reference a Cindy in the book. Um, can you tell us about Cindy, um, who <laughs> is kind of the guide? Yeah. So Cindy, uh, Cindy was my imaginary friend <laughs> growing up. Um, she lived in the hall closet, 
Um, and and so uh, so I think you know subconsciously just kind of picking a, a, a name. Uh, I mean, really, Cindy's kind of an avatar of of really me and my friends, right? <laughs> um, you know, I'm in my early 40s, and uh, you know, and, and then you know. My friends were all, you know, kind of similar and, and kind of busy moms and, you know, fighting the battles of uh, eating well and getting enough sleep and not drinking too much and, you know, how do we manage all the stress and, uh, you know, watching our parents and, um, you know, and then thinking about our decline because, you know, brain health doesn't start at 65. It, mm-hmm. it starts, it's kind of lifelong. And, um, you know, particularly how we live our lives in our, in our midlife, uh, has a really big impact. And, and so, uh, so I, you know, you know, without giving away too much, like some of Cindy's fears might actually be my fears. Uh, <laughs> just kind of hearing, <laughs> hearing from my friends. Well, and, but, you know, we all have fears and we have a lot more, I, I you know, I always say we have a lot more in common than we have different. And, and, and one of those things is our fears, you know, as well as yeah, our loves and our desires sure. and stuff. And so it's important, you know, to talk about all of these things. Let's talk about you, you, ta- you um, talking here about three simple steps that we can take to really invest in our brain 401ks. And so why don't, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so brain 401k, which I actually wanted to be a title, but, but was advised against because people said, you, you know, you'll be explaining the rest of your life why it's not a book about money. Um, but, um, so, but brain 401k is, is what I call cognitive reserve uh, because it, it, so cognitive reserve is a scientific theory that was put together by a neuropsychologist at Columbia University named Jakob Stern and uh, who wrote a series of papers around the year 2000 kind of explaining a bunch of evidence that we were seeing that what predicted people developing dementia or kind of falling off that dementia cliff or, you know, kind of crossing over that dementia threshold where, where the memory loss was bad enough to really start getting in your way and it was worse than normal aging, what, what really predicts that is not so much actually how much Alzheimer's is growing in your brain, but actually how much brain you have left over. And, and that can be it's a little theoretical. We don't have like a way to calculate your cognitive reserve yet. Um, but but it, what it's really explaining is that people who have more brain cells and more skills kind of built up throughout their life were able to kind of withstand the kind of the ravages of Alzheimer's disease or even a stroke or, or brain injury that, that clinically they were still doing better despite bad things happening to their brains. And and so using this kind of investment analogy and kind of calling it your brain's 401k, really I feel like kind of makes it relatable, right, because it's, it's quite literally like your brain's retirement account. And so every time that we think about one of those or, or do one of those seven skills, right, like if we get a good night's sleep, then we're kind of investing in our brain 401k. If we go for a jog or a walk, then we're investing in our brain 401k. And, and so um, – so 
you know, this, the book talks about seven skills for really maximizing your brain 401k investment. Uh, a lot of times when I give talks, I, you know, it takes, if I, I like to go into a little bit of detail. And so, um, so I, I kind of boil it down to kind of my top three. And, and I, I'm thinking about getting uh, t-shirts made up, Lori, that say like, move, learn, meditate. Because if you kind of had to boil it down to three, the, those would really be my top three because the, the science is really strong on those three. Moving your body is probably the A, number one best thing you can do for your brain. Uh, it helps us grow new brain cells. It helps us kind of keep the brain cells we've had our whole life. Um, it, it, it also produces these chemicals called nerve growth factors that are kind of like miracle grow for your brain cells. And, and so people who are physically active have bigger brains and, and a lot more resistance to, to cognitive decline. Uh, learn would be learning new things because those uh, baby brain cells that, that you develop when you're physically active, they don't immediately start off as new neurons. They actually have to be trained to kind of grow up to become a new neuron. And the way we do that is by learning because these new brain cells only grow in the memory centers of your brain. And so, you know, so go for a walk, sit down, read the paper, learn something new, and then meditate is my number three because the stress hormone cortisol basically does the opposite of what being physically active does. It prevents you from growing new brain cells and it kills off the ones you've had your whole life. And you can't get rid of all your stress, nor do we need to. I mean, because then we wouldn't have any excitement in our lives. Um, but so we just need to have some balance. We need to have some periods of time where we've kind of turned off that stress response to give our brains a chance to kind of flesh out those those stress hormones and and really kind of provide some some protection from um, a chemical, the cortisol, which is you know toxic. Mm -hmm. I have to clarify because I think I I might have heard you wrong, but did, I thought you said that meditating kind of kills off some of those brain cells and kind of does the opposite. Oh, I may have misspoke. No, no, we're being stressed. Oh, <laughs> Stress. okay. So meditating. Okay. I, I just wanted. Yeah, to I probably clear, misspoke. I'm sorry. I, well, yes. and I, I I could have misheard you, so I just wanted to make sure because I was like I kind of perked up on that one. Um, and it's interesting that that meditation was, um, you know, the third one because I I want to focus on that one a little bit just because that is your your chapter eight, which is soothe stress for a bigger brain and greater focus. And what I like in this chapter that you have is um, you actually have a list of uh, you know uh, kind of a, a stress uh, self assessment for people to go through. And, you know, one of them is panic attacks. And I can't tell you how many people who have never had panic attacks seem to be having panic attacks in the world we're living mm -hmm. in today, dementia or right. not. But the, the stress levels yeah. have, have gone up so much. So I think that that is really um, an important one. I'm looking at, you know, um, easily startled and I, I'm a I'm a screamer when someone comes up and I'm I'm in my zone and so I'm kind of like okay but I've, I've got to been like that all of my life when I'm in my zone I I'm always startled um very easily but you know you you kind of you break it down easily and then you ask nice questions you know um 
you know, for people and you, you, you really do guide them, you know, like what are, you know, your, your stress sensations, what do they mean to you? What are they? I mean, a lot of times I think people don't even really realize their stress because they haven't slowed down to like listen or feel their body and, and how they're reacting. And, and they seem oblivious to stress or they're in denial of stress. Do you see that or am I, Am I just throwing that out there and being strange? No, no, it's huge. And it's actually, I mean, kind of to come full circle back to the clinic, it's a lot of what we do at CCCW is that we teach people what stress feels like because we we work with a lot of people. We we see so many people who are worried about their thinking skills. I mean, it's a top fear, right? People would rather die than than lose their memories. And, And so... A lot of the times when they're describing kind of these glitches in their thinking, it it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg, but, you know, it may be that a memory glitch happens because you're having panic symptoms mm-hmm. or the other way around, that when you when you forget something, then sometimes people will panic as a result of, you know, what it means to them. Um, one of the first people I worked with, uh, we, we were able to kind of boil it down to where, you know, every time she forgot something, she immediately was imagining herself being kind of wheeled into the nursing home. And so, so by and large, we, I think kind of universally, could really expand in our emotional intelligence and and knowing what it feels like to kind of have fear running through our bodies and and then the impact that that has on thinking is is pretty profound and and you're right Lori about just kind of the ramping up of of stress and fear and anxiety and panic like there's very little about the last year and a half that has been kind of good for mental health, right, with the, all the social isolation and all the death and all the political unrest. Um, you know, I think we've all been struggling, uh, you know, with you know, just kind of not having our normal outlets. Being social is huge and um and, and you know, as as primates, which is you know, what we are as humans, uh, there, a lot of our nervous system is really tied to kind of soothing ourselves through connection with other people. And so, you know, we've we've lost a lot of that uh, throughout this pandemic period. And and so, it's uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm not surprised to hear you kind of talking about people, you know, describing panic attacks for the first time and. Also, what's kind of weird about the, you know, like when the pandemic started, like, I'm a psychologist, right? We've been teaching people for my whole career, you know, for, for probably centuries now, you know, to uh, to question their fears, you know, like, um, you know, uh, you know, like people who have like a germ phobia, right? We're like, well, I don't know, maybe it's not so terrible that you like go and touch the toilet. And uh, but then when the when when COVID came along, we were like, oh yeah, you should really stay home, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and so and then and then just kind of anticipating sort of the undoing of all of that, like you know, are we all going to be washing our hands until they're chafed? And that's actually you know it was kind of normal for for a period of time and. Um, but yeah, we've been dealing with a lot, 
You're right. Mm-hmm. And and we have more more to come, you know, as the I mean, hopefully things will, you know, hopefully things are starting to go back to normal soon. Um but with the dementia epidemic that's kind of on the horizon, you know, there's lots of things about living with dementia that are also remarkably stressful and you know, lots of social isolation and stigma and um I mean, you've been doing amazing work to kind of help with a lot of that um with the cafes and and just really grateful for all the work that you're doing to really kind of prep everybody for, for sort of what's coming. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. because it, you know, we've, there's, there's going to be a, a lot to adjust to and, um, dealing with dementia is, is hard. It's really stressful and, and, um, can really take a toll on a person's body and wellness. And we see really high rates of stress related disease in caregivers and um so so anyway <laughs> thank you for for kind of addressing that yeah yeah well you know and one of the things and I'll just give an example of Cindy in your book um you ask you know have you have you ever felt this way and about something and Cindy writes oh my gosh I break out in a cold sweat every time I can't remember a name of a restaurant or something that I like I think I get scared that I'm I'm getting dementia. You know, I could tell yeah. myself that it's okay if if I relax, and then I'll probably remember it. But you know that overwhelming stress that that we don't mm. know. And I, I experienced it. I mean, I experienced it a lot. But the, the most significant time that I experienced it was I had just gotten divorced, and my hot water heater broke. And my oh. brother came. My brother came over to replace my hot water heater, and he's like, "Go get your plumber's wrench." And I'm I'm a girl with all kinds of tools, and and I went upstairs, and I'm like, "I don't know, I, I don't know what a plumber's wrench looks like." And I'm digging through my stuff, and I'm looking at everything, and I have no idea. I mean, absolutely none. Yeah. So I go down to him, and he's like, "Where's the plumber's wrench?" I'm like, "I can't find it." And I give him a pen and a paper, and I said, "Can you draw me a picture?" And I so embarrassed yeah. and so ashamed that I had to do that. And I, I'll never forget the look in his eyes, like, oh, my God, you know, what the hell is happening to you, Lori? And I'm just like, yeah. please, will you draw me a picture, and I'll go back up, and I'll I'll find it. And I went back up, and I still couldn't find it. And I had to go down again and tell him I can't find it. And he's like, well, I know you have one. And I said, well, then will you please go up there and get it? And it yeah. was just that one time, but I think I was just, so overwhelmed with so many things and and then you know the water heater got replaced and you know things calmed down and I was fine it was just that one item but it really made me realize what a person with dementia goes through and so you know I was kind of actually grateful for that because it gave me a whole new appreciation because it's not like just misplacing your keys I mean it's like like I said draw me a picture you know, help me out here. The words aren't the words aren't cutting it. I still couldn't match it up. I still couldn't do it. And um, yeah. you know, those things are scary, and we have to we have to talk about those things. We have to be honest about them, and uh, and see what's going on. And and again, I think stress. If you are a person with dementia, if you are a person caring for dementia. If you are touched by dementia in any way, everybody has stress in their life. 
you know, so take a peek at that. Um, you talk about a one one minute of a present moment awareness. Can you can you tell people about that a little? Sure. Yeah. Um, so so mindfulness meditation is um, really kind of swept through psychology over the mm-hmm. last uh, probably decade and a half, and um, I, you know, and I'm not sure if, you know if everybody really kind of knows what that is necessarily, um, but. It, you know, there are diff- lots of different ways to kind of practice this, and 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 mindfulness is helpful because it um, it, it you know there's a, a clinical intervention called mindfulness-based stress reduction. It, it gives you an opportunity to kind of put your body in that rest and digest state, which is kind of the opposite, which is the opposite of, of fight or flight. The, you can't be in both at the same time, and mm-hmm. and that's really kind of how we protect our brains from the effects of stress is, and then that's why I kind of say like meditate for a bigger brain um, is, is to, is by practicing any kind of mindfulness activity. It, and there are other ways to, to, to put your body in that rest and digest state, but what it's effectively doing is turning off the fight or flight response, which is kind of what is bad for your brain. And, and so, and life is hard, like right, what you were just saying, right? If you, if you're living with any stress, really, and we can create a lot of our own stress, kind of no matter what's happening, right? Like even some of the most privileged and pampered people can can like kind of ravage their brains with with tons of stress too, like purely from their thoughts. Um, but but particularly if you if you're living with dementia, personally or as a care partner, that 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 stress is is consistent and and persistent and. And the way to kind of deal with that is to, is to take some moments where you can kind of turn that stress response off. And it just gives your body a break. And, and so there's many ways to do that. There's lots of breath exercises, yoga, tai chi. Um, but the present moment awareness activity is, is really nice and, and easy to do. It's, it, it's easy in theory. It may not actually be easy to do um, because our, our minds are really active and and so it's probably going to wander off and you might like have some intrusive thoughts um, that come in and so so the idea is to just pay attention on purpose to the present moment non-judgmentally and and so you can set a timer and just kind of be in the moment you know like I'm sitting in my office and I have a beautiful figure of a sailboat that has like navy and white sails and and you know and focus on that and just kind of really take it in and just kind of be present I might think about you know the room and sort of what the air temperature feels like I might check in with my body um and then I might think about you know oh did I pay my credit card bill and they're like okay well you know that's not in this moment, right, <laughs> and I'll mm-hmm. kind of gently, you know, take, you know, not judgmentally, I'm not going to like beat myself up for having an intrusive thought or worrying about something, um, but but I'll just kind of, you know, gently bring myself back to the present moment and, and just kind of keep doing that sort of over and over because the present moment, you know, unless we're on fire or, you know, or, or we're like, you know, around somebody who's like screaming and having a meltdown or like beating us up, like otherwise, I mean, if those things aren't happening, then the present moment's generally not that bad, right? Like if we're 
there's a saying, you know, if we're breathing, then there's actually more right with us than wrong with us. And, and so just kind of being in that moment is really helpful. Where we get ourselves in trouble and kind of create internal stress is when we worry about the future or we ruminate about the past and we kind of do the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And, and so just kind of being in this moment um, can, can be really helpful in sort of calming down your body, having sort of an appreciation for being alive and, mm-hmm. um, and really kind of calming all that, all that down. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. You also have, you know, a segment in here about diet. One of the things that I like is you have a, a weekly brain checklist in here. And it's, it's soft and it doesn't feel like, you know, you must follow this, this, this. I mean, you, you have some leeway here. And, you know, you ask questions like, did you use olive oil instead of butter? You know, that's a pretty simple thing to do. Um, had at least um, one other veggie per day, ate berries, you know, twice a week. You know, you're breaking this down, um, nuts on most days. Um, didn't have any cheese. That's my downfall. I loved my, my nachos. <laughs> you know, um, nachos fish. Yeah, fish or chicken, but not, you know, not fried. Um, beans three times uh, a week. You know, um, sweets, you know, m- no more than four times. And, again, you're, you're not giving necessarily quantities in, in the checklist. But, again, when you, when you read this and you write this down, um, you know, what foods do you want to eat more of? What do you want to eat less of? I, I find for myself that I remember better when I, I read it, I hear it, I write it down. You know, the more ways I can take it in. Um, yeah. The, the easier it is. And sometimes just incorporating something simple like that um, and allowing yourself to learn maybe differently than what you used to um, can help you, I would imagine as well. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think kind of what you're describing with the like read it and write it down is that you're kind of introducing the information into different sensory modalities, right? Like where mm-hmm. it might have at first been auditory now you're seeing it you're feeling it there's you know it's going in different parts of your brain and and we need to practice that as we get older because cognition most of our cognitive skills peak at about 25 or 30 mm-hmm. and and decline steadily from there and and so you know I'm in my bed 40s like things are not as easy as they used to be um we can still learn things, but, but learning is not as quick and as easy as it would be for a 20-year-old's brain. And, and so we need to kind of how, – how people over, you know, our whole species have kind of coped with that is by, by practicing techniques that help with that. And so you may need a few extra repetitions. You may need to, you know, give it a little bit more thought. Um, you may need to practice being really present and pay really close attention um, you may need to think, change things about your lifestyle. You know, maybe you could, you know, go out and party all night and then, you know, be okay, make it through kind of the next day. But then you start to get older and that starts to get in the way a lot more and, and, and makes it really hard to function. And, and so we just don't have quite as much um, bounce back as, as, as a younger person might. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'll notice that too. You know, I, I, my kids tease me about, um, go get the doodad, you know, like not, <laughs> not being able to come up with like the precise word that I want to get because word finding declines naturally with age. And, um, you know, how, how much we know if that's, you know, is it, is it worse than my normal aging? I'm not going to know that unless I sit down and, and do some formal testing. Um, mm-hmm. But, but so that's one one way that we can kind of get this sorted out is is actually go get checked out. And I, I really want to encourage people to do that. That's it's really important that people talk about these things with their doctors and and really kind of get a sense of what is normal cognitive decline and what is dementia because most people still are not getting diagnosed early enough for us that we can if we can catch it early we can there's a lot we can do to intervene and and really try to slow down functional declines um but but then also people worry kind of incessantly you know and so if i I could easily panic about every time that I can't come up with the right word and mm-hmm. um but you know but that that doesn't do me a lot of good right because it makes me have more stress hormones i can't i'm not gonna it's not gonna make it easier to come up with the with the word um, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of in that fight or flight mode and uh, so so yeah, so I think we need to kind of take a breath right <laughs> and and kind of re-engage and, and because our, our brains don't work very well either when, when we're being hijacked by fight or flight. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not really important to remember the name of the restaurant that you went to last week when your body literally feels like it's being chased by a lion. You know, like remembering the name of that restaurant is not essential to surviving being chased by the lion. And so, uh, so in order to kind of re-engage our focus, we really have to calm down our bodies, and and you know kind of and the more we practice these relaxation strategies through something like meditation, yoga, um, the easier it's going to be to kind of implement that when when we need it. Wonderful. Well, I can't believe our hour is just about up. We only have a couple of minutes left, oh. and I it goes by fast. I I just want to. Um, you know, talk about the the book in terms of how people can purchase it. I saw that it was on Amazon. And again, the book is called The Neuroscience of Memory, Seven Skills to Optimize Your Brain Power, Improve Memory, and Stay Sharp at Any Age by Dr. Sherry D. All, that's A-L-L. Um, is there other places where they can purchase the book as well? Yeah, so it's kind of everywhere. Uh, so if you want an autographed copy from me, you can order it at SherryAll.com. Um, but it, I've seen it uh, online with Target. Local bookstores uh, are retailing it. Um, I, there is an audio book, too, that you can get on Audible, and I had the privilege of narrating it, so um, you get to spend six hours with me, and um, so lots of places. Yeah, thank you for asking. Okay, wonderful. And then if people are interested in your clinic, they can just go to um, cogwellness.com, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's right, yeah, uh, cogwellness.com. And we have a couple locations in Chicago. We're, we're doing most of, actually, all of our treatment interventions still by telehealth. So if you are really anywhere in Illinois, 
um, we can we can treat you very easily. And in May 2022, I'm, I'm excited to announce uh, we're planning an expansion to the D.C. area, opening a clinic in, in Bethesda. Well, wonderful. Well, that's really exciting on that. And I just yes. want to clarify for the Sherry All, that's uh, S-H-E-R-R-I-E. And is there, do you have your D as a middle initial or is it just Sherry All? No. Yeah, just SherryAll.com. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I want to I wanna thank you. I want to thank our audience so much. Um, please like, click, and share this. I think we have some great information from Dr. Sherry today, and I appreciate all you're doing. If you have any questions for me, again, you can always reach out to uh, me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com or just go visit our site. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a blessed week. We'll talk soon. Bye now.